Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So we have been journeying through our confession of faith together in these first few weeks of the year. Uh, Last week was really the first part of the confession of faith, and this week is the next. So Josh has talked about how this year we are reimagining our faith, how we are sifting through it all, how we are finding a faith that is worth keeping together. And because that is what we hope for you, that's what we hope for us, that's what we hope for all of us, to find a faith worth keeping. So last week, Josh talked about having an expansive faith. And now this week, I'm talking about seeking a faith rooted in the person and practice of Jesus. So a sermon on Jesus. That should be easy, right? We can fit all that we really need to in about 20 minutes or so. Does that sound good? Yeah? (laughs) As I was preparing this sermon, I wanted to dwell even further on the confession of faith itself, um, especially because I am fairly new to it. After all, I started going to gather in June of 2023. I joined the staff in October of 2023. But I will say that even from the very first time, that I said it out loud with the Gather family in June, I knew it was meaningful. It was really one of the reasons that I wanted to keep coming back. And also, as I was preparing this sermon, I wondered what scripture to meditate on. Um, After all, Gather did just spend a year with Jesus throughout 2023, so you've heard all you need to hear. Should I just wrap it up? Are we good now? But when I did take it seriously for a moment, I came to Philippians 2, 1 through 8. And that is often called the Christ hymn. So some of the earliest followers of Christ sung these words about Jesus and who he was. In this letter from Paul, he is reminding them of the hymn and spurring them on to imitate Christ in everything they do, everything they say in their mind, their heart, their behavior. So here it is. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is the hymn part. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So though you may have heard this scripture over and over, like me, maybe this is your first time, I I offer this reading today, particularly to you in the context of Roman power, like when it was written, and also American power, like today. 
See, for Romans, their rulers were depicted as gods. And they were gods who stepped on the poor, who abused women. They were rulers who were in it for the glory of themselves, for the fun of climbing to the top, of being the most important. So this song, this poem about Jesus is even more poignant in the face of these things. One commentary put it this way. Through verse 8, the Christ hymn is clear. Domination, conquest, exploitation, exactly the patriotic images that the Roman Empire embraced are antithetical to divine power. Jesus' death and resurrection reject our human displays of power and violence precisely because we know the divine was present in the worst kind of violence, fear, stigmatization, and brute show of force. Violence, fear, and death are not God's plan. Structures of human leadership that glorify dominance over other people, who criminalize black and brown bodies, who objectify women, and who exploit poverty work against God's justice. They are sin. So in the past, while you may have heard this description of Jesus in this scripture as separate from the life we live, I offer it to you today as quite the opposite. As hard as many try to do so, Jesus cannot and will not and never was meant to be sterilized. Jesus is not distant. Jesus is not cold. Jesus was and continues to be someone involved in our everyday lives. As someone whose livelihood was in opposition to the power over mindset of empire. And Jesus did and still does offer his kindness, his warmth, his here with us comfort. Brene Brown has done some incredible work looking at the concepts of power over versus power to, with, and within. So power itself is, is not bad. We all have some form of power in our own lives, in our own contexts. But what makes power dangerous is how it's used. And power over is driven by fear. These are some of the descriptors that she has in her research. Power over is finite, and the leaders hoard it. It's driven by fear, shame, blame, division, dehumanization. And at its core, being right is more important than getting it right. And on the other hand, power with, to, and within looks like this. It is infinite. And it actually expands when it's shared. It's about connection. It's about empathy, accountability, meaningful change, and community. And at its core, it's about getting it right, being more important than being right. So daring and transformative leaders share power with, empower people to, and inspire people to develop power within. Jesus is all about these things. For example, throughout the Gospels, Jesus was asked 183 questions. And he only directly answered between three and eight of them, depending on interpretation. 
Instead, he was always asking something else. He was waxing a parable. He was coming in close to the people who were questioning him. Does that sound like someone who is trying to control, trying to have all the right answers? Jesus was not a leader who knew it all and kept his distance. But I'll say that throughout my life growing up, Jesus was usually presented as just that distant collection of ideas. Death, resurrection, glory. But what about his life? What about the actual practices of Jesus? There are creeds that have been around for a long time that serve as the basis of beliefs for the universal church. So one of them is called the Apostles' Creed. You may have heard of it before. You may have heard it said before. And it dates back in its form as we know it to about the 8th century. So it's something that's been said out loud in Catholic and Protestant churches, especially in the West, for centuries and centuries. And this is the part of it about Jesus, how it goes. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's a lot of words. (laughs) And I studied this intently when I was in seminary. And when I did, I was frustrated with the fact that none of this is really specific about his actual day-to-day life. Until one day, we did discuss how maybe we could just look at the word suffered and see it as the descriptor of his life. So while I still wish there was more, I do start to find some comfort in this, that Jesus is not just this collection of distant, heady ideas. Jesus suffered. Jesus was a human being. Jesus experienced suffering for himself and still feels all of our suffering with us. There are some of you, if not all of you, who know the feeling of being in the wilderness. Of feeling like going through a sifting of your faith might even be suffering. Author Sarah Bessie's newest book coming out next month is called Field Notes for the Wilderness, Practices for an Evolving Faith. She describes the experience of deconstruction as something of a wilderness. But one of the beautiful things is that when we think about the actual practices of Jesus, the actual day-to-day life, Jesus went into the literal wilderness first thing in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. He knows what it is to be alone, to wander to be tried, and especially to be on the edge of a moment in which you can never go back. In these Gospels, that's a big part of what the wilderness was for. In her book, Sarah Bessie says, few of us enter the wilderness like it's a parade or a party. Usually we enter with our hearts on the ground, pushed down and worn out, 
that invitation of rest and gentleness, of journeying with Jesus in the wilderness, is likely the exhale you are craving. And the first thing we need to learn in the wilderness is generous gentleness toward ourselves, toward the old versions of ourselves, toward those around us, toward the universe, toward the holy work of our own life. The wilderness is not your place for striving. Not really. Jesus is the one who knows the wilderness best and journeys the whole way with us. So rather than seeing the wilderness as only a place of despair and loneliness, of fear and wasteland, we can also see it as a place to exhale, to rest, to reorient ourselves, and to know that we are not alone in any of it. It reminded me of the Lion King, actually, as I was starting to think about wilderness. That great journey Simba went on through it all, a pretty perfect epic, if we're being honest. And one of those pivotal moments for him is when Mufasa calls down to him from the sky and says, remember who you are. Remember who you are. As we fix our eyes on Jesus, we remember. Because of who he was, because of what he did, because of how he's been through his own wilderness, we remember who we are. And we remember also what we are called forth to do, how we are called to power with, power to, power within, to resist the idolatry of empire. And I know that all sounds pretty grand and even overwhelming at times, especially if you have the soundtrack of Lion King playing in your brain. Hans Zimmer did some great work. But that's what the generous gentleness is for, too. There are simply little choices that we get to make along the way, all in humility, all in the mind of Christ. So as we root ourselves in kindness, in openness, in inclusivity, in justice, in love, in the way we interact with the ones we love and the ones we do not, and the way we remain faithful to what and to who we have been called. Our confession of faith as a whole, here for Gather, is what knits us together. They are not just words that we say, but we are living these spiritual truths that can form us and direct us. That when things feel so hard as they often do, this is what we can fall back on. And these are the people we can fall into. Humility is the way of Jesus. In the deepest, truest form of humility, we know that being completely open to others, that embracing and embodying this confession of faith does not subtract from us. It does not take away from our own needs, our desires, our boundaries. Instead, true humility means that it all belongs, that there is this ebb and flow to it all, and we simply must be in the moment with generous gentleness to listen, to listen to the person in front of us and to listen to ourselves. 
Jesus's humility meant full presence. It meant full humanity. There are a few celebrity deaths that really hit hard. Uh, One of those for me was an author by the name of Rachel Held Evans. She was a New York Times bestselling author, someone who also grew up in a staunch Baptist church and who started to wonder, what if there's something different? And while she may not be considered a full celebrity by some standards, she was certainly someone that guided me for years of my own questioning and my own wilderness. She also happened to be best friends with Sarah Bessie, who I quoted earlier, and they started a conference together called Evolving Faith that happens annually that I would highly recommend. And when I read Rachel's book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood in college, I was brought into, maybe even catapulted into a journey of wondering of wondering what women's place place actually was in the church, and then also the slippery slope of inclusion and belonging for literally everyone that happened from there. She was a gifted writer, and I still think about her often, and I return to her words just as often. For me, these especially ring true. She says, I am a Christian, because the story of Jesus is still the story I'm willing to risk being wrong about. The church is not a group of people who believe all the same things. The church is a group of people caught up in the same story with Jesus at the center. I'm in no rush to patch up these questions. I am also still so sure that the story of Jesus is the story I'm willing to be wrong about. The Jesus actually described in the passage today that we've discussed throughout this time, the one who defied empire, who identified with the marginalized, who was an empathetic friend. This is the Jesus we proclaim. While people might continue to proclaim one who aligns with patriarchal, shame-based, and just honestly mean types of power, we can still cling to him the one who knows our pain, who journeys with us in the wilderness, and who keeps showing us how to be truly humble. This is my prayer for us today, Gather. That we would know that Jesus sees us in our wilderness. He is with us because he went through his own. And in every moment, he is reminding us that humility is the way that power to, with, and within is the way, that gentleness with others and most of all with ourselves is the way. Hear this all today. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.